and welcome to yet another episode of Have a Nice Apocalypse. It's the Talk Film Society Richard Kelly Retrospective, where we look at the man's work and also, in particular, we dig deep into Southland Tales. I am your co-host, Marcelo Pico, Editor-in-Chief of Talk Film Society, and with me, as always, is my co-host for this, which I I can't do this without this person right here. It's Marcus Irving. Hello, Marcus. Hello. Hello, my lovelies, everybody listening out there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hello, Marcelo. We have yet to decide what's... uh, uh, Is it either fans of this show or fans of Richard Kelly? Fans of Richard Kelly. Okay, yeah, this this goes back. Yeah. Okay. To what I don't uh, this know. This goes to, uh, to like a very early episode of this, where we we were like, "What? What are fans of Richard Kelly going to be called?" I I thought of something classy. I thought I thought Kelly's Angels. Right, okay. I like that. Uh, Marcella, what was your idea? Uh, dickheads. Was that yeah. it? <laughs> I don't remember. Actually, yeah, that, that was that was it. <laughs> that was it. Okay, so, I just pulled I just pulled that one out of my ass. Um, yeah, okay, but we don't have to decide that right. now. You know, whether no. it be Kelly's Angels or Dickheads, lovingly. But yeah, okay. Oh, uh, this show have a nice apocalypse. Uh, uh, yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah, let's quickly like uh, the the elevator pitch. Marcus, this is your favorite movie of all time, Southland Tales. Yeah. We've yep. dedicated uh, three years of our lives. That sounds right. Uh, yeah. um, uh, breaking <laughs> mm-hmm. down uh, Kelly's career <laughs> and uh, more specifically <laughs> Southland Tales. Um, and I'm along for the ride. I'm here to experience it. <laughs> Woo! Along with We're cruising, baby. Everybody else. Uh, I, 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 I'm like in the passenger seat of uh, Ryan Gosling. In the movie Drive, I'm, I'm just along for the ride. I'm the mm. Christ, uh, uh, Christina Hendricks uh, uh, to your Ryan Gosling. Doesn't she die in that in Drive? Doesn't yeah, she, she gets her head like blown off by a shotgun uh, very violently. I picked the right character then. I, I'm the uh, guy in the elevator. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, you're the guy in the in the elevator who Ryan Gosling kills. <laughs> yeah, he, he smashes his head in with his boot and then like makes out with Carrie Mulligan like over the dead body like hell yeah okay so yeah so for new listeners that's our dynamic on this show um okay enough of that this is the intro to episode 26 of have a nice apocalypse we have a special guest i mean uh, of course you see it in the title yes yes Um, very special guest love this guest do we want to say who it is right away or do we want to make people wait Ooh, baby well i don't know i just want to talk about our recording circumstances oh okay Uh, you know it's no big deal uh, and not no. not as big of a deal as I made it off mic before we recorded, um, but it it's for me not completely up to par with my standards of quality. But I think it's a fine recording, uh, no problem at all. Uh, just our guest side of the audio, not the best, but I think it works. I think, uh, hey, quality wise, in terms of uh, what we I said see. during the episode, worked out just fine. So that's it. That's the only. Editor's notes. Uh, it's the only edit. Yeah, it's better than fine. I mean, we're twenty. This is like twenty six episodes in, and we're finally like really getting into it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> this is the most we have talked about Southland Tales ever. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's a quality episode. Okay, four four out of four stars. Just the audio quality itself. Eh, it's like uh, maybe three out of three out of four stars. But yeah, that's the only note I wanted to uh, put up front. 
we can move on. We'll we'll talk about our guests later. Okay. Last week we talked about doing this. It's back. Uh, Marcus's Southland Tales segment has returned. Back in the early days of this show, Marcus uh, tried to make me do this with him. Um, coming up with a drink <coughs> every episode tied to Southland Tales in some way. Uh, but now, after you know two years of forcing this on me, I have now rolled over and given up, and I have created a drink for this segment, uh, for this show. Uh, we talked about last week. Uh, Marcus, you take over. I, I think you can do a better job of recapping what we're doing right now. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the segment, uh, so brilliantly titled Southland Ales. By you. By me, yeah, I came up with it. I don't like to brag, but thanks, Marcella. We're making drinks based on a theme, a theme related to the film Southland Tales. Uh, I, of course, now have no knowledge whatsoever of drinking or uh, mixology. <laughs> Marcelo is a, he likes to call himself an amateur, amateur mixologist now that nowadays. I am an amateur mixologist. Uh, I don't even want to say mixologist. Yes. I'm just a guy who makes drinks now. I bought a shaker. I'm, I'm a guy who has a shaker. That's where I'm at. Well, I think that 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 gives you the title of mixologist. I don't deserve I don't to say so. it at all. You've come up with drinks on this show. You've drank the drinks uh, that you've made on this show. Oh, yeah. So that that makes you more. Well, I think they've been pretty good. Yeah. Then me. They tend to be out there. Yeah. So okay, this week's theme. What is it? Uh, yeah, we decided on the intro last week that we were going to do Zora Carmichael today. Yeah. Right. Is, is uh, it, Sherry is O'Terry's it, character? Is it Zora Carmichael or Carmichael's? Carmichael's, excuse yeah. me. It's the Zora Carmichael's. I wrote it down. I thought of the idea because uh, I think I said last week that I, we said it in the last, last intro. But no, we, we're recording these out of order. So whatever chapter where Zora had a martini in her hand, uh, presumably a martini because there were two olives uh, in a martini glass uh, with a drink in it. But... Uh, whatever chapter we covered and we recorded a few weeks ago that had her drinking that drink, I said, "Hey, let's do that. Let's." I I, I pitched, "Let's do a Zora Carmichael's uh, drink," and I said, "Why don't we?" I said, "Why don't we aim it to make it like a martini type drink?" That's what I said. But hey, uh, oh. that's what I did. I know you. Okay, yeah, I'm glad I, you did that. Yeah, I have a feeling you did something else from our off mic discussion. Let's let's get into it. Let's just say I mean, I'll go first. Okay, and then and then you can go. All right, is that fine? Yeah, I, I think that should be the order that it happens. Okay. So I went back today to that scene where uh, Zora Carmichael's, played by Sherry O'Terry, is holding uh, a martini drink. Uh, yes, like I John said, John Lovitz is there. Yes, John Lovitz is there, uh, grabbing her around the neck. Yeah, it's it's the scene where he says, "Do you want to watch a movie or fuck?" No, do you want to fuck or watch a movie? Yeah, well, whatever. Uh, it's, it's not my favorite movie of all time. It's your favorite movie. Um, so, <laughs> I looked up martini uh, cocktail recipes, and I came up with something that I I don't I, I tried to see if somebody else had done this, but I call it the Zora Carmichael's martini. Okay, that's just the name I'm going to give this drink. It is a, a variation of a dirty martini and a Vesper uh, martini. I guess I'll just go through what's in the drink. And I've already mixed it up, and it's right here in front of me. And it's my third one of the day. Uh, I put uh, one and a quarter 
ounces of gin and one and a quarter ounces of vodka. So it has gin and vodka in this. I put half an ounce of not dry vermouth because I picked up the wrong bottle today. Uh, Instead, it's a vermouth blanc. Uh, Normally in these martinis, a dry vermouth is the way to go, but I picked up a vermouth blanc, which is... It is sweeter than a dry vermouth, uh, because that's the difference between a dry vermouth and a sweet vermouth, obviously. One is not as sweet as the other. Uh, But this this falls right down in the middle, apparently, of a dry and sweet vermouth. So there you go. Um, Half an ounce of olive juice. That also goes in here. I put all that in a shaker uh, with ice. I shook it. I know it's controversial whether to shake or stir. I chose to shake. And I poured it in a martini glass with two olives. And that, my friend, is the Zora Carmichael's martini. So it's a, yeah, like I said, a mix of like a dirty martini and a Vesper. Because I have the olive juice and the olives and the gin and vodka. Um, so yeah, so that's my drink. And I'm going to take a sip right now. Uh, this is the maybe 20th uh, sip of this drink. Because of course I've had... Uh, two of these already so i'm gonna take a sip Mm, i like it i did add Mm. a little bit more olive juice this time around because i love olives and olive juice and uh, olive juice so i like a dirty martini i do like how this uh martini came out for me but i'm not a big martini guy i'd rather make a whiskey sour is, is is what i would rather do um but hey i think i understood the assignment i've delivered a variant of a martini that I think, um, and, uh, I mean, uh, there's some thought into it. I, I wanted to make it as complicated as possible uh, because, hey, it's Southland uh-huh. Tales. Why not make it as complicated as possible? I didn't want to stick to just gin or vodka. I wanted to mix them both in. Uh, at one point, uh, for, in there. Uh, at one point, I, I, I put in um, some bitter. I put in a dash of bitters into this, but I decided to take that out of the equation. Uh, a little bit too complicated. That would have been the cons cut version. Of, too too of, bittery. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it added a bit too much. Uh, Marcus, take it away. What did you come up with? Thematically, uh, your drink is just. The, the, you think this is the drink that she was holding in the film? Not necessarily. This is what she was drinking. I, I, you know, I I looked at it again today, and her drink is a lot. It's it, it, it looks like she's drinking water. Um. So. Uh, well, uh, for the purposes of the making the film. I got some news, buddy. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, she could have just been <laughs> drinking water, but uh, 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 a lot more clearer than my drink because the vermouth blanc is a uh, uh, has has like a tinge of um, like a rose color, uh, and the, uh, with mm. the olive juice, uh, that's why wow. they call it a dirty martini because it's you know not clear. But if you were to go yeah. like dry vermouth and vodka. Get something clearer and maybe closer to what she okay. was drinking. So yeah, Ed Cannon. This is what Zora Carmichael's was drinking. Yeah, uh, this is what I would want her to drink. Is what I would say. <laughs> Not necessarily. This is the type of drinking. woman that you want her to be. <laughs> Dirty uh, and olivey <laughs> and complicated. Yeah, yeah. All right. So about about that level that you just got to is the I, I try to go more high concept with mine with my drinks. Uh, because all I can all I can do is think about the movie really, and then try to connect that to what little knowledge I have of making drinks or what drinks exist. 
So, Zora Carmichael, what do we know about her? She's a neo-Marxist, am I right? Confirmed, yes. Yes. Karl Marx. Uh, German, yes. right? Uh, German, yeah, yeah. German descent. I did do a little tiny Google search. Uh, if Marx, like, drank alcohol or anything, he was known to like beer, right? I did read that, yes. So, German man, known to like beer. So I went for... Uh, the base of my drink, uh, I went for the most authentic uh, German beer that there is. I got a Bud Light. <laughs> okay. Um, pour, just do a little pour. Might be able to hear that. So Bud Light base, right? Now, uh, if we look at the spelling of Zora Carmichael's name. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's an H after the C, so it's kind. Of, you could say Char. So that's what I'll, I'll name the drink. It's the Zora Charmichaels. <laughs> okay. The Char is spelled, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the character, right? Okay, let's think about the character. She's a bit of a, she's a bit of a fiery one, right? <laughs> she's she's got a lot of attitude. She's punchy, you know. Okay. She's a, she's a, like a hot tamale, wouldn't you say, Marcella? You're gonna put like a tamale in this beer. You're gonna put like a. Uh, she's a hot tamale. Oh so I gotta, no! Uh, I'm no. gonna put some hot tamales. No! What are you doing? No! So I'm just gonna take a few hot tamales. Jesus, you're putting you're putting hot tamales. Okay, by the way, listeners, into my beer. This isn't like some like bit where like I'm playing along. I'm legitimately concerned. <laughs> did you did you taste test this before, or you just no? Okay, God so, no. Okay, so this is gonna go way worse. If you think hot tamales are bad, Marcella, <sighs> Jesus Christ! I keep going. Get on the roller coaster, buddy. All right, so I've been drinking. Or I've been drinking. Uh, the, since this segment started, I've been chewing gum, okay? Okay. Because, yeah, Zora Carmichael, she's spicy, right? She's red hot. Or sure. big red. Okay. So I've been chewing big red gum. Ugh. Uh, two sticks. Right. That's my official measurement. I put, like, four hot tamales in there or something, maybe five. Bud Light, hot tamale, uh, start, start chewing some big red. Marcelo? Zora is a hot one, all right? Okay. She is a hot... She's a little She's a little fireball, wouldn't you say? Uh-huh. So we're going to take a shooter of fireball. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. And dump that in there. Whole thing. So wait, what did you do with the gum? You just have it in your mouth? I'm still just chewing it. This is, this is an accent, you know? Okay, so I'll take to, it out before I drink so, so I don't hurt myself. So you have to chew gum before <laughs> drinking this, which I've never... This is part of the experience. I've you know? never heard... It, it's it's recipe. like the orange slice. It's the orange slice on top of the thing. Like It's just there to look good or to give an aura, you know? But you're just chewing gum and drinking... <laughs> okay, okay, keep going, keep going. She might chew gum in the movie. Amy Poehler chews gum in the movie. I think uh, so. Sure. I think I think she... Yeah, yeah. People chew gum in the movie, yes. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, solved. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, la- last ingredient, right? So something I noticed about this Zora Carmichael, I'm taking out my gum now. She is spicy, right? Right. She is fiery. Okay. She is one spicy pepper. <laughs> Yeah, she, <laughs> she is a spicy pepper. Uh, all right. I've got a Serrano, Serrano pepper here. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I'm, uh, not, I'm not one I'm not one that deals with spice. I, I don't I don't typically go out of my way to get spicy stuff, but I've had I've had hotter than a Serrano, so this shouldn't do too bad for me. I'm gonna take a bite of the Serrano pepper and then I'm gonna drink the Bud Light. 
with hot tamales and fireball and that's it in it. What you could have just done was just the Bud Light and the fireball. And yeah, they're right. That would be that'd all, be the normal person's way of going. And all this. of this would have just been you could have just sold me this drink that way and I would have been like, you know what, brilliant. But <laughs> you uh, just to reiterate, Bud Light, yeah. throw in four hot tamales. Just yeah, there's a handful of hot a tamales. A handful of hot tamales. You're chewing big red while you're chew, doing this. Chew big red gum as you as you yeah. mix it as you Your mix mouth this. all cinnamony. Uh, throwing a what a, a, a like one of those like little uh, uh, nibs, a shooter, a shooter fireball, yeah. um, and a serrano pepper that you're just going to bite. <laughs> you're gonna take a bite out of a serrano pepper. Uh, I, I I bought one single pepper. It was four cents. This is uh, the most <laughs> em- embarrassing thing we've ever done. This show. <laughs> um. So go this ahead. Sucks, right? This Why do you do <laughs> this is great. I put taking that bite. Okay, Marcus is taking a bite. Oh, now take that drink. <coughs> All right, so I'm assuming Marcus is. I can hear him chugging the Bud Light that has hot tamales and a fire and a <coughs> fireball shot in it. He's <coughs> coughing, coughing right on Mike. <coughs> I don't think he's doing well. I'm keeping this all in. This, oh, this is all going in the show. Had to take another drink of it to be sure. This mm-hmm. sucks shit. Yeah. No, I'm not surprised. Yeah, this is terrible. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't just eat a raw pepper like no, that either. Don't chew gum. Don't you? Don't chew big red gum. Uh, take a bite out of a pepper, <laughs> then drink Bud Light with candy in it and a fireball shot. In it. <laughs> don't do this. No. <clears throat> you uh, folks uh, listening, you could easily make my drink at home and enjoy it. Yeah, um, that. That's 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 the energy you bring, Marcel. You bring something nice. I bring toxic, just <laughs> disgusting dog shit. It's like oh, uh, God. It's like if Tar were in Jackass. Imagine that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lydia Tar. Welcome to Jackass. Marcel, what what would uh, Lydia Tar's uh, Jackass stunt be? Uh, her stunt would be she'd put on a vinyl record of a Drake album and listen to it the whole way through. That. That's 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 what her stunt would be on Jackass. <laughs> All right, drinks are done. Southland Ales crossed off the list. Uh, okay, movies. What have we movies? been watching? What? Let's let's. Oh Jesus! Let's go through this quickly because this is a segment on the show where we talk about. What, 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 I fuck what, everything up, don't I? What we've seen recently. What do you mean you fuck everything up? You don't fuck everything up. <laughs> What have we seen? Uh, uh, we saw Fast X. What is X. it that you have been watching? What is it that we you both watched Fast X? Uh, yeah. Let's just quickly give a, 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 a our review of it because we saw it uh, individually uh, by one accord um, over the last weekend. Fast X, I liked it a lot. I'm eager to see it again. It it, it gives me the juice that I want in the eleventh entry of this franchise mm. that some would say is lost steam, but I feel like. If you're gonna give me some batshit crazy action with like these soap opera plot lines, with a bad guy that's just like a like a like a Joker esque character who's like a like a bisexual queen, I'm all for it. So I love Fast X. Um, I can't wait for the next two chapters to close off the series. Marcus, what are your thoughts? 
Marcelo. I had a wonderful time watching this movie. I love this series to death. Uh, I am putting this up near the greats. This is up near the fives and the sevens. Fast Five and Furious Seven, excuse me. I had just the most wonderful, delirious time in the theater. It was 10.30 p.m. showing, so I didn't get out of there until, I don't know, like one after one. And I was fucking like, my mind was just getting blown over and over and over again. <laughs> like I, I, cause you, cause you got that, you got that night madness, you know, yeah. that overtakes you. Momoa, I think he's the best villain they've ever had. Uh, he I is think so too. Fat, uh, he is just fantastic. And like, uh, he is enough to carry three movies if, if he needs to, I have a feeling they'll get him in the next one, but yeah, he is so fucking good. I can't wait to see more of that character, how his story interacts with like five different movies at once because they're setting up two more movies after this. Each movie is stupider than the last, and I just I had a bundle. It was a bundle of fun. Yeah, it's it's like Fast, uh, Fast and Furious uh, Infinity War and Fast and Furious Endgame because they have yeah. like 30 characters, and they do a good job of juggling each and every one, I think. And at this point, if you're not already on board, like if you like uh, 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 clocked out, yeah, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to you. So like, just give it to the people that want it. You know. If if after Furious Seven you said, okay, that's enough for me, I don't blame you. But also, I think you're missing out. I think there's some worth to be had in some of fa- some of uh, Fast Eight. Uh, I loved Fast Nine. Not a big yeah. fan of Hobbs and Shaw, but I do like Statham. Yeah. Um, We're all on the same page there, both of us. Hey, we got to talk about this before we go, before we leave this segment. And I don't think it's a spoiler at this point because everybody's been talking about it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's back, baby. He's back. Hobbs is back, everybody. I knew the spoiler. I knew it uh, uh, coming in. But watching that uh, mid-credit sequence, I was hooting. I was hollering. Um, not literally in the theater. I mean, I'm not an insane person. I enjoyed that uh, uh, that tease. Yeah, you some bitch, right? That was his line. He really chewed on that line. He just like he just really stretched some bitch out. On on one hand, it's a shame that he put all his chips into Black Adam, and now he's kind of like gone back to a franchise that he essentially wrote off and said, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And now he's back. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm glad he's back. I do like him in these movies, but come on. You, you're going to do another Fast and Furious movie? You're going you're to do the live-action Moana movie? Why not just go back and say, hey, Richard, Mr. Kelly, what are you up to? I got, I got, I got some extra money lying around. Yeah, huh? be a producer. Get get Damn. get something. Get a project off uh, off the ground for Kelly. Anyway, this well, man got you to can. Yeah, has he been, has he been back to can? I don't think so. Doubt so it. get back, as the Beatles would say. <laughs> uh, um. Okay, but yeah, but that's uh, our updates on The Rock. Uh, but that's our movie section done. So we saw Fast X. We both liked it a lot. So that's off the list. Movies done. Let's get into the Southland Hills slash Richard Kelly news, which leads us to the Twitter. It's Richard Kelly's Twitter. Uh, we're, we're catching up because we, we, we took a long break for a few months there. And 
Richard Kelly hasn't tweeted anything himself, but he's retweeted a lot in that time. Uh, you know, we had that hiatus, but now we're catching up. Um, do you want to just go through some of these? Uh, Let's Marcus? just do a couple. Let's do a couple. Okay. Uh, why don't you go first? Uh, we start off. Our, our last one last time was a, a retweet of us, Charlie Kaufman at the WGA Laurel Awards. Uh, support the strike. We still support the strike. We support the strike. WGA America. Okay, so our next tweet here, he retweeted Stephen Weintraub at Collider Frosty, an editor-in-chief at Collider.com. He found a picture, uh, or he took a picture um, in Budapest uh, of some uh, graffiti that he found on the wall, some street art, of uh, Frank the Bunny from Donnie Darko. It's a really cool design. Uh, It says it's made by at 0036 Mark. And somebody, uh, of course, uh, well, uh, there's a, the name Cool Jimmy next to it. And somebody drew tits on Frank, <clears throat> which is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Stephen, re- Stephen tweeted this at Real James Duvall. James Duvall was Frank the Money. You might like this. Spotted this just now in Budapest. Cool. Uh, so cool, dude. So cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through these next two tweets real fast. So he retweeted uh, Mubi. Mubi yeah, is did. promoting the Mubi podcast because uh, they are joined by Richard Kelly on a podcast yeah. on Mubi's yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, and then the next retweet is um, yeah another retweet of the Mubi podcast where Richard Kelly is a guest. So yeah, I mean, come, okay. <clears throat> I remember you sharing this uh, uh, with me uh, when this came out, yeah. Marcus. Yeah, but I did. Let's, definitely. Let's not let's not uh, belabor this point, but we gotta get Richard Kelly on this show. I mean, that's uh, all jokes aside. If if well, the if the movie yeah. podcast can get him, why can't we? I I, uh, I believe I quote tweeted one of these tweets with like, "What what does movie have that we don't?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Followers. I think one of the guys from Mubi liked the tweet. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> but, uh, but, oh, hold on. We'll get him, guys. He's well, doing podcasts, right? That's, that's, that's the upside. I want, He's I want doing us, podcasts. I want us to talk about this more as we go on, but let's just keep going. We got to talk about this. Okay. We got to, we got to do it. Ah, <sighs> Richard Kelly, <sighs> just a few days ago on May 19th, retweeted something. Marcus. We got to get into what happened a few days ago. So tell me about this retweet. Uh, he retweeted Scott Duvall. Uh, he attended a screening of the con cut of Southland Tales. I was, I saw this tweet. Richard Kelly retweeted it. I was like, whoa, what are you talking about? There was a screening of the con cut of Southland Tales. And not just that. But J. Richard Kelly himself was at the screening doing a Q&A. Now, and not only was J. Richard Kelly there. Yes. But Rebecca Del Rio, the beautiful, soulful singer who does the national anthem at the end of the film Southland Tales. Both of them were there doing a Q&A. Now... Okay, two things here. At the Mar- Rio in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Yes. Uh, two things here. So, Marcus said... Okay, first thing is Rebecca Del Rio. Let's talk about her. I knew she has recently been out there performing 
at screenings. Okay, the only screenings I knew of before I was aware of this uh, were Mulholland Drive screenings. Uh, this past week in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, she was here uh, singing and I think doing a Q and A for a screening of Mulholland Drive. I could not attend that screening; I was busy. But, Ooh. but I did buy tickets to see her live at a Mulholland Ooh. Drive screening in Dallas. Yeah. Texas. Ooh. So I'm driving up to Dallas this Friday to see Rebecca Del Rio live. And when you're when you're driving through Dallas, make sure you have your top up on your car. <laughs> Marcus, that's a joke, but I'm going to be watching this movie uh, with a Rebecca Del Rio performance in Q and A at the, the Grassy Knoll. Marcus, you joke, but what? I'm seeing this at the Texas Theater, the same one. Oh. Where, um, <laughs> what's his face? Uh, uh, what's his name? I forget. Uh, uh, the guy who shot JFK in the head. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. Where Lee Harvey Oswald hit out and got arrested <laughs> after the JFK assassination. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. Yeah, so the, that famous theater where he hit out and I think saw a movie while trying to hide from police. I'm going there to see Rebecca Del Rio live, uh, uh, so I'm excited. So, uh, that's I, awesome. I, I I I bought the tickets before I even knew about. Apparently, there's like some sort of tour that Richard Kelly and Rebecca Del Rio are doing. Right. Yeah. Because the Scott fellow, the Scott mm, character, I'll say, Mr. Scott uh, he, Duvall. He, he, Mr. Scott Duvall. Uh, he tweeted a picture, a few pictures from the event, uh, a beautiful one here with him next to Richard Kelly. Richard Kelly's on the stage. Um, we got one here with Richard and Rebecca and the moderator, a picture of like a cup or something. I don't know what that is. It's like a signed cup. Mm, signed cup. And uh, one of the one of the pictures is of uh, the screen, which has a big poster on it um, for the screening, but not just the screening. They're advertising the fluid karma tour. And now that gave me pause. I go tour. And also, okay, this is the other point I wanted to make. We're bad at our jobs. As, as a Richard Kelly podcast, as a Southland tells podcast last week, exactly a week ago, we were just reading fucking retweets from Richard Kelly. (laughs) We had no idea this was happening here. in uh, um, I mean, not here. We had no idea in North this, America. We had no idea this was happening, this tour in Canada and other places. This is news to us after it happened. Yeah. So where else were they at? So they were at, their, like we said, the Real Theater in Vancouver, uh, Canada. They were also at uh, the Philadelphia Film Society a few days later. That screening's already done. And I, I I I did a quick Google search after Marcus sent me this tweet because like I, I think what was it Saturday morning, uh, you sent me this bright and early, I, I I awakened to see a text from Marcus saying look at this, there's a screening of this of of, of the cons cut with Richard Kelly and Rebecca Dorio in person. I go what is this tour? Let's see. Okay, so this is the crazy part. This is the most insane thing. Not, one, nothing about this is believable. One of like the most. I, I, this is the universe aligns. <laughs> so this is where. Right. So this is why I wanted to get this out tonight because it just happened. Forty-eight minutes ago. in to our. <laughs> I'm gonna. Recording. I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut things out. It'll be shorter. <laughs> so it turns out. Okay, this is insane. Uh, 
So Richard Kelly is is uh, as far as I know, uh, he's he's done two shows. He's doing another show where he's going to present Southland Tales with Rebecca Del Rio live. Um, he's going to be in Milwaukee, and I go, oh, I, as soon as I saw that link, I go, oh, Milwaukee. When is that? June seventeenth. I go, huh. June 17th. So this was like Saturday. This is this past Saturday. Mm. So let's rewind to two months ago. So two months ago, my great friend, Grace, who's been on the Talk Film Society podcast uh, for the 99th episode, uh, her and I talked about Tick, Tick, Boom uh, for like an hour. So go back last two years ago, whatever, when that episode came out. Listen to her. She's amazing. She <laughs> she invited me out to Milwaukee two months ago, and I go, oh, I, you know, I I love to see my friend Grace, and I'm gonna take a trip. I'm gonna take a trip to Chicago because it's near Milwaukee, and I'm gonna have a whole trip planned. And then I find out that the same night I'm going to be in Milwaukee to meet my friend Grace. That's when the Southland <sighs> no. Tale screening is going to happen. No, June seventeenth. No. No. There's no way. There's now, no way that this would just happen to happen. Why, why would I be in the same city as Richard Kelly and Rebecca DeRio on the same night I'd be in Milwaukee for one night? Out of 365 days of the year, the one night I'm in Milwaukee, I've never been to Milwaukee. I have no reason to be in Milwaukee except to see a friend. Across the country from you. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah uh, across, Northern. Uh, v- vertically across the country. Vertically, yeah. So, it's. I thought same, you were fucking with me when you sent it. <laughs> it's the same night I'm going to see my friend, but I'm going to be there. I've already bought my ticket, so that's the news. I'm going to yeah. be in Milwaukee for this South End Tale screening with Richard Kelly and Rebecca DeRio. I may not be there for the entire uh, screening, but I'm going to show up. I, I I have to. Again, it makes no sense in my head why this would happen. I feel like a Donnie Darko uh, over here, where it uh, like it's like predestination. Now and that's that's not all. Okay, we have more to talk about. What else is there, Marcus? Marcus, or, your other co-host of this show. You are also here. Yeah, she lives in Iowa. Iowa, right? the great state of Iowa. Iowa corn, uh, Chuck Grassley, just the best. Uh, five hours and 10 minutes drive away from milwaukee and marcello you're you're going to chicago you're going to chicago where you're going to meet mike mike, mike your co-host mike schindler on your co- your co-host of your show soderberg 2828 yes um yeah so you two are going to meet in person for the first time it's going to be a beautiful meeting of podcast co-hosts and then the next day marcello yeah it's gonna happen again i purchased tickets to the southland tales concat screening in milwaukee oh my god i'm gonna go across state lines (laughs) holy shit to milwaukee that's the big news folks so drive five hours if all okay again if all goes well all goes well this is if all goes barring any acts of mother nature i think we can i I think we can uh gently announce it that's even though we have no ties to this screening, it just so happens that the both of us can attend this screening of Southland Tales. What are the odds? It makes no sense. 
Why is this happening? And that's it. That's the news. So, so again, fingers crossed. If all goes well, if if it falls through, then then don't blame us because we, again, we reiterate. If all goes well, it all could go completely I mean, wrong, yeah, was, and things could. It's a twenty dollar ticket. I'm not gonna feel that bent up if I get. If I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's go. fine. Uh, you'll you'll be uh, contributing to the Milwaukee Film Society if you just yeah do you add on a de- I, I definitely added on a donation <clears throat> oh absolutely me too uh, but yeah so yeah. if you listen to this and if you're in Milwaukee uh, or in the Milwaukee Chicago area because it's nearby uh, hey buy a ticket uh, show up to the June 17th screening and uh, one of us will be <laughs> there us. or two of us will, will be there <laughs> minimum one minimum, minimum one. one will be there for you like know, 20 minutes 30 so. minutes <laughs> <laughs> then I gotta go. <laughs> Listen, I, I I made plans two months ago for this. You're there for one night. You got important things to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can only be there for like the Richard Kelly, you know, intro and the and the Rebecca Dorio performance. Uh, but then I gotta get out of there. Um, but if but if <laughs> but if Marcus is there, he. I mean, you're gonna be there the entire time. There's nothing stopping. Oh, I'm you. not gonna leave. Yeah, you kidding so, me? Yeah, couldn't couldn't pull me out of there with a fucking hammer. You literally said an episode ago. Or maybe you literally said in the last time we've recorded, you would kill to see South Tales in a theater, and it, yeah, it might just happen. You know, again, not, not only not only Southland Tales, the con cut. It's the con cut. Yeah, so I'm going to be there even longer in that movie theater. We'll talk about we'll we'll talk more about this later. But yeah, that's the big news. That's it. What a reveal. That's the ep- that, well, not that's not the episode. That's the intro. That's the episode. <laughs> that's the intro. <laughs> Why don't we just again? I said this before we recorded. <laughs> Why don't we just release this as, as an episode and then just release the other one next week? But no, our our big news. Yeah, uh, our guest bananas. Our guest for this episode, though, uh, just as great as all this news. Uh, yeah. I, we had a fun time talking with him. Uh, Andrew Cook, uh, this dude, uh, he's awesome. Uh, I don't want to underplay it. He did a fantastic job here. Uh, it is uh, one of the best conversations we have had about the film South. It's probably, honestly, it's probably the best conversation we've had directly about the movie. You know, like we, we really get into it. We get into the weeds. We get into stuff that I had no, no clue about. Marcelo definitely didn't know about. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like we this was such a fun chat and you'll hear at the end he brought up a few things that were just like dude i want to keep talking to you for the next six hours about this and maybe we will eventually uh well i'm sure we'll have him back on but yeah so after moby uh does his thing uh, you'll hear us and andrew cook talk southland tales chapters uh three and four here on episode 26 the martini is hitting me, so we got to end this. Uh, but yeah, uh, any last words before we turn it to ourselves? I wish I wouldn't have done that with the drink. <laughs> it's so bad. It's too late now. I enjoyed my drink. So, folks, get your Zora Carmichael's ready. Uh, you have the recipe for two Zora Carmichael's. Make them both. Set them side by side. And listen to this episode uh, with me, Marcus, and Andrew Cook talking Southland Tales. The Cons Cut, chapters three and four. Moby, take it away.
And we're back. Whoa. Ah, Moby. What thank the, you. Thanks, Moby. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he's walking out the door with his keyboard in hand. We love that memory gospel, Moby. Yep. And we love Moby uh, unapologetically. Uh, we condone everything he's done. Uh, um, absolutely. Great guy. Great guy. Um, yeah. Support. Yeah, all that. Don't Google him. Um, uh, Marcus. So we have another yeah, well, great show. Um, oh, do we? Oh, do we, Marcelo? As as we teed up in the intro, I mean, uh, a Rip Warren look at the movie Southland Tales once again, the cons cut. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We shall dilly-dally no further. We have to introduce our guest for this week. Marcus? Oh, my God. I I am I'm excited about this one. I'm afraid of this one, Marcelo. And I'll tell you why. I first heard our fir- I, I first heard our guest on Joel Baco's podcast Lost in the Movies. A previous guest of ours and both Marcelo and I's second best friend next to each other, uh, Vera Drew, had guested on the show the week prior and I subscribed to the Patreon to hear that full interview. I liked the show, but I did fully intend to just take the month and dip out. But you know what happened in the following week, Marcelo? Right after I subscribed, Joel put out an episode in his movie Decades Capsule series covering the 2000s, the odds, if you will, wherein he had a lengthy discussion with a man about the film Southland Tales. Uh, this is bullshit, I say to myself. They're stealing our bit. This is my thing. And Joel knows that, and that's why he put this out. He lures me in with my second best friend, Vera Drew, only so he can slap me across the face. It was a master chess move, matching only Alexei Shirov's brilliant bishop sacrifice play against Vyselin Topolov on their now legendary game in Linares on March 4th, 1998. You know me, I'm never one to back away from a friendly sparring session, so I decide to play along with this little game, certain I'll ultimately come out on top. Joel is an incredibly smart man. But at least on this subject, he's my bitch. But I soon discovered that at the end of the day, it actually wasn't Joel that I had to contend with. Who I really should have been worried about was his guest for the episode, Andrew Cook. I was quickly impressed with Cook's knowledge of the film, able to spit out facts and trivia and speak eloquently about the film's many complexities and its historical uh, significance left and right as if they were second nature to him. It was clear that I had met my match. I don't even... I don't even want to discuss the many sick and disturbing thoughts that I pondered over the next few months, because the only thing that matters is that I made it through uh, that dark time as a stronger person. Rather than wallow in defeat, I swallowed my pride and was determined to up my game, and I figure my first step on this new journey of self-actualization is to face my demons head-on and speak to the man who sent me into this existential crisis himself. He's a writer a poet, an Indiana University Hoosiers fan, and a YouTuber you can find at Salmon Shirts Forever Productions. Please welcome our guest, Andrew Cook. Thank you. Thank you. Huge introduction. I'm honored. (laughs) When I get going, I get going. Welcome to the show, Andrew. I'm sorry I didn't write a five-minute monologue (laughs) for you. Um... Okay, Andrew, tell us a little bit about more about yourself. Um, how how did where did you first come to see Southland Tales and all that? Like uh, your history with Richard Kelly. Well, I as I feel probably true for most people, it started with Donnie Darko, um, which I had seen, you know, in high school when I was really starting to get into alternative cinema, and I knew that he had this 
you know, new film coming out that was really mysterious, that had a bizarre cast, and people were calling it a musical. Um, and I just, I mean, I couldn't see it because it didn't play anywhere around rural Indiana. But um, I was just so hyped for that for like a whole year, just kind of waiting just to see it. And I had to wait till it came out on DVD. And I saw it and was just kind of really blown away. I mean, I knew a lot of people had hated it, but um, I was just fascinated by it from the beginning, you know. The, the film used to have this website that was really detailed. I mean, as as expansive as the Donnie Darko website, and I was, like, going there on my 56K modem, and um, I got the graphic novel. I mean, it was, you know, I was super excited for it, and then wow. it didn't disappoint. Was that website the... They show URLs all throughout the film, the usident.com or whatever. Is that what the website was? Or USI Death? It, it might have been. I don't remember, but it had a lot of, like, flash graphics, and I think you could listen to Teen Horniness is Not a Crime. And oh, man. Panels from the graphic novel. That's so cool. Oh, I, I have tried to search the the Wayback Machine for this. It's so cool talking to somebody that actually experienced that at the time. I wish I could, oh, I wish I could see it. So since just getting hooked right away, Andrew, and you said you read the graphic novels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think Marcus is more on that side of things. I eventually you know, got on the bandwagon of how great this movie is. I always thought it was good, but but now I can unequivocally, unequivocally say it's great, right? But as somebody who's, like, watched the movie, I think I think go through, like, this, um, this, like, resurgence, you know? All of a sudden, it is a cult classic. It's like, how does that feel, being redeemed in that way? <laughs> it's like, hey... Yeah, you're on the cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. Um... Because hey, it's great to be right sometimes, right, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it does feel good. I mean, I know that that kind of happened for Donnie Darko, but it was a lot quicker for that. And I mean, it, it, it just really is satisfying to see this movie have its due. I mean, one time I was showing somebody the movie um, The Box from Richard Kelly, and I could like kind of watch them disconnect from the film and like – while we're watching it, look up cracked articles about how bad Southland Tales is and stuff like that. Um, so it, it 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 is nice to finally see some positive attention, you know, being paid to it. Uh, especially with the anniversary of the con screening a year or two ago, where there were all these like that AB that really great AB Club uh, interview with Richard Kelly and stuff. Uh, yeah, it is really cool to see and. I, uh, I don't know who knows if it leads to anything more but well that's 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 our main theme in our intros Marcus it's like uh, uh patiently waiting for Richard Kelly to drop any news on mm. any sort of Southland Tales continuation um I, I I think we've talked about this Marcus I want to get Andrew's take on it uh the box which I haven't seen yet I'll eventually see for the show um no spoilers towards the end of this season um but I think I know Marcus's answer but with the box, like I, that one hasn't caught on, like Southland Tales and Donnie Darko. Obviously, w- will it ever catch on, or has that one just like lost like its step in relevance? Um, and and again, hey, no spoilers, but uh, I guess this is pre-box discussion. But like, um, is there like a, a reason you think that that one didn't catch on, Andrew? Uh, well. 
I hope it catches on. I okay. think it is as insightful and relevant um, to our moment now as, as Southland Tales in its own way. That's interesting. Oh, wow. um, I think that maybe it didn't catch on because it was not as, I mean, it was it was a flop and it didn't get particularly good reviews, but it wasn't as big a flop as Southland Tales or as hated. Um, so maybe, you know, it's it's a little bit forgotten, but I certainly do hope people rediscover it. Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's going to be a big the discovery rediscovery uh of that movie on this show um so marcus next season the box chapter by chapter i think that's what we have to do <laughs> well well we will definitely talk about the box we'll we'll see what happens with it. but uh, i uh i in my in my memory <clears throat> I, I don't think i memory knew palace. it was connected to the donnie what's that uh, in my in my memory gospel yeah that's I, right. I do not believe uh I knew it was connected to the Donnie Darko or Southland Tales guy. I had seen both before I saw the box, but I don't think I knew because I was, I don't know, 16 when it came out. I didn't like the movie, I, I but I have not seen it since that very first viewing oh. uh, almost 10 years ago or over 10 years ago. So, like, I'm very curious to get back to it. I do know a handful. I do know at least one or two people that do love that movie. And uh, now I know Andrew loves it as well. Maybe we bring it back, Andrew, to talk about it because I, I don't think the other person I know would do it. Because I know, I mean, Marcelo's never seen it at all. Is that right? That's correct. I mm. bought a Blu-ray of it for this show. I think two years ago now. <laughs> Still on my on my shelf. Haven't haven't opened it up. <laughs> yeah, but I was I'm I've been looking forward to this podcast eventually reaching the box. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's what we keep doing. That's we well, keep listen. pushing it back. <laughs> That's 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 become the that's become the running joke of this. Um, I think it was last year when when we were lining up episodes. I was like, okay, the box will be at the end of this run of episodes we, we recorded last year. Nope, and now it's at the end of this run. So we'll see. <laughs> Where yeah, it's like your podcast is becoming Southland Tales in a way. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We keep like we, expanding our own universe. We can't control it. Yeah, and, and this is the extended cons cuts of the podcast where we we, we added another season <laughs> of us digging through the movie chapter by chapter. Andrew d- did send me this this article uh, a few days ago or about a week ago. Uh, from indie100.com talking about like a scientific discovery and he likened it to the serpent's tunnel which by the way i i'm going to guess not a single person we have had on this uh podcast yet would be able to casually reference the serpent's tunnel and andrew did it right just right out of the gate and that's why i was so impressed like i legitimately in my intro i said i was impressed with how you were talking about the movie you were like referencing shit from the graphic novel you were bringing it up like like you do truly know everything about this movie and like that was kind of my goal was with doing this series uh is like doing that work trying to fully understand it and i feel like i've gotten there but i still don't know if i could like fully spit out everything like how you were doing like so perfectly on that uh episode of lost in the movies but you sent me this article uh would you would you care to talk about it andrew um yes so basically i mean pretty recently they found um so they say this massive ocean discovered beneath the earth's crust so i mean i guess i assume you know around like around the mantle um, which has more water than on the, on the surface. 
And I mean, I, I was, was reading it, you know, it came up cause I, you know, I get a lot of articles about science and, um, I just immediately, ah, yes, the serpent trench, Richard Kelly's right again. Yes. <laughs> For listeners maybe coming in who've maybe only seen Southland Tales once or twice or three times and still don't know what the serpent's tunnel is. What is it? Is it the trench? Is it the trench? trench? What is it? <laughs> I believe it is the serpent trench, which wraps around the earth in the shape of a serpent and releases yeah. fluid karma. Yeah, that's where they get fluid karma. It's like a fracking kind of thing. Now, would it be embarrassing for me to say I had no idea what that was until you just explained it to me? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have been flummoxed by Southland Tales. There's no shame in that. I'm still flummoxed yeah. by Southland Tales. <laughs> yeah, even a man is as learned as yourself. <laughs> Like there, there is always new things to find. We're covering uh, it's another uh, extra double chapter or whatever the hell we called it last episode. A double issue. Double issue. We definitely didn't call it that. Where we are. Uh, no, no way. This is the first time I said that phrase. <laughs> where we are, uh, cap co- covering uh, chapters three and four together. Like last time, we did one and two together. And uh, I, going through, I did notice some more special little details uh i wouldn't say there's anything as mind-blowing as uh, perhaps some of them were last episode but i did i did there is every single time i watch this there's always something new that pops out to me um and i don't know are we ready to get into the breakdown marcel yeah, possibly oh uh one more question andrew how often do you watch Southland Tales. Like, Good is this question. is this one of your like once a year sort of viewings? Like, I, I I tend to watch my favorite movies at least once a year, daily, da- daily, hourly. Just have <laughs> it on on you know continuously on monitors all throughout your home. How often uh, do you do you watch <laughs> Southland Tales, Andrew? Um, I've seen it a number of times, but usually for me, rewatching films is when I'm finding somebody to show it to. Uh, um, so a, a lot of my rewatches have been with friends and so on. Gotcha. How often does that work out? How, how often does that work out for showing people Southland Tales that they get the reaction you're hoping for? You know, I mean, I, I do try to make sure that I show it to people who I think will be on its wavelength, you know. Um, <laughs> so it has been pretty positive so far. Okay, good. Okay, good. That's yeah. great. We, uh, I forget who it was. Was it Tara Marcus who showed it to. Uh, her friends. Uh, when, when, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, that, that's right. Yeah, Tara showed it to her friend M, mm-hmm. and M did like it. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I wonder what the hit rate is for people showing this movie and them liking it or not. You know, I, I we failed with Sarah Sarantino. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Uh, Sarantino did not like it after seeing it for the first time. Or no, she, she was more on the fence. She, um, yeah, she was yeah. like, you know, like whatever. But I will never watch this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was kind of her takeaway. But yeah, anyway, interesting experiment, folks listening. Uh, if you have, uh, if you if you're able to show this to friends, do it. Report back. Uh, email us at what Marcus marking the marks at gmail.com and, and tell us. Yeah, definitely <laughs> a still active thing. Uh, definitely something I know how to get into still. <laughs> Um, Is it time for me to reveal the time codes for these chapters? Oh, shit. Yes, Marcel. I don't have them. Go ahead. Okay. I have them pulled up because I'm a professional. All right. So chapters three and four, we're looking at chapter three starting at 26 minutes in and six seconds. Uh, All the way through the end of chapter four, 
which is 51 minutes and one second. So that's 26 minutes through 51 minutes of the cons cut. Um, now, Good Marcus, 25 minute chunk here. Yes. Uh, remind me the, uh, uh, you, uh, I think you broke it down to chapters. Was it by chapter stops on the Blu-ray on arrow? Yeah. But yeah, by the natural chapter stops uh, yes. that are coded into the Blu-ray for the, the arrow Blu-ray. They're different than the regular release Blu-ray from 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, we're going by the arrow Blu-ray, uh, cons cut disc. Um, yes. and, and we, we have to make a note um, that in the past, we'll have to talk about how there's like a Southland Tales single disc edition from Arrow that's very confusing. Um, yeah, yeah, I did not know that. Apparently, you can buy a single disc, just theatrical cut edition of the Arrow. Do not do that. Don't do that, folks. Pay the extra few bucks. Get get the get the con cut. Yeah, yeah. Comes um, with both. But yes, uh, uh, cons cut Blu-ray, um, and again, as of this recording, I, I still don't think it's uh, uh, you know legally available to view anywhere else except that Blu-ray. Is uh, that true? I think Jeez. so. I don't think it's on VOD. Andrew, uh, uh, which happen to know if this is on VOD anywhere or digital streaming? The cons cut. I believe weirdly. Australia has always had the con cut, but outside Australia, I don't believe it is. <laughs> oh, fucking Australia. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, so I, I'm I'm talking to uh, a potential future guest for this show uh, today about the cons cut, and I have to somehow make sure she watches the cons cut for this show, which I'm. It'll have to happen some way. <laughs> so I I the, I'll say this before we start with these chapters breakdowns for for the cons cut. I think the guests for this series, for this season, I mean, where we break down the cons cut, extra special, because these are the people who went mm. the distance to watch <laughs> the cons cuts, which is hard to find. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We salute these people yes, um, more than any. Yes. So let's let's get this going. Chapter three. Yeah. Chapter three. Okay. <clears throat> we are starting at a big scene in the movie, uh, the ride along with Boxer in the with Boxer and Roland in the police car, uh, Boxer is trying to get uh, experience research for his role in The Power. Uh, they have a conversation mm. that something Marcelo. Okay. I think Boxer takes offense to. I, I can't. I I wasn't able to. Oh, you have to remind me, Marcus. Catch- what ex- I mean, I, I I wasn't able to catch it really. Did you write it down? Do you, do you okay? But you have it. Do you have it playing like, in front of you? Maybe put on subtitles, read out loud I, what they say. I don't actually. No. Oh, okay. Got well, a so we can't. On in the background. No, no. Yeah, but there was something interesting said in a scene here <laughs> that I just I can't remember here. Uh, but it it uh, it, uh, it remains intact. Okay, all joking aside. Yeah, uh, I forget who says. I think they both say the n word. <laughs> in this scene, right? Yeah, they do. Um, let's talk about this scene in the uh, cons cuts. Because, okay, uh, <laughs> unless you have some notes on this already, Marcus. My only note right now is after he says the N-word or whatever and they go through the, was it a joke or whatever. I, 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 this is the first time I've ever really thought about this where Amy Poehler, it cuts back to Amy Poehler uh, I didn't believe him as a racist cop. Fascist, maybe, but not racist. I'm trying to figure out if that's an intentional joke or not. Like, are, are fascists not inherently racist? Wait, you, are you asking if it's funny? I'm trying to figure out if it's a joke. 
I think it's a joke. Andrew, your thoughts? Joke or not? Yeah. I believe it's a joke about, I mean, I don't know, just kind of the silliness you'll get in terms of um, discourse among, you know, some of us on the left, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And before we get too much into this, this episode is maybe the funniest section of the movie. Like, I I was laughing out loud at multiple parts, even though I've seen the movie uh, four times. For for a second there, I thought you were going to say this episode of of our show is the funniest, which I would have been like, okay. Well, well, let's see. (laughs) Uh, But... (laughs) But yeah. Okay. So, what were you going to say, Marcel? You had something to say about this? Oh no, I I just wanted to to, to you know get into it. And um, from our commentary with Vera Drew, uh, where we talked with her over the cons cut for like three hours. Um, again, thanks to Vera for putting up with us. Um, I I do remember now. Remind me, Marcus. I I, I hope you have this information handy. There, I forget what moment stuck out to me in the cons cuts that wasn't in the theatrical oh, yeah. cut. There's, I, I, I've got, I've got this line, I've got this written word I, for word, Marcelo. Maybe we can say both at the same time. Ready? Here we go. I threw, <laughs> I almost threw up on her tits. Is that so, the one? <laughs> so, no. So I'm fucking her last night. That's it. Right before I come, I puke all over her tits. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Which I, I remember it's saying. So- uh, uh, d- during the commentary, it's like that may is maybe my favorite line of the entire movie. I and I can't it, it believe is. it got cut. Well, I can believe it. Got I, cut. I have to imagine it was maybe too graphic or something, and maybe it pushed it over an R rating or whatever. But like, I it is the line of the movie for me. It really is. Uh, it it alone makes the con cut worth it to have to have put out and and it's not even just that that's funny like it continues a little bit after that and it still gets fun it gets funnier like does it Sean uh, Weeb Scott and he says like I'm sorry man it happens like he's trying to be <laughs> he, he, does, he does yeah he says it happens and then uh, the rock says uh, nope <laughs> he, get, he gets insistent nobody rocks the cock like Kristen yeah. now yeah nobody and then like it it there's a few seconds of pause Nobody. <laughs> and then it pauses more. Fucking nobody. Like he just keeps insisting. No like he keeps going on about it, even after the point where you can see Shaw William Scott, like it's visibly like, okay, come on, man. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh <laughs> it's good, Andrew, right? Yes, and I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like every like I watched this, the con cut for the first time when I got that Blu-ray, and I mean that scene blindsided me. I mean I thought it's yeah. so funny. I can see why it's gone, maybe for timing, but it's so funny. And then <laughs> when I watched it again the other day, I mean it, it you know slapped me across the face again. It just comes out of nowhere. And then and yeah, that nobody at the end is so funny. It really is one of the funniest things they shot. Oh, uh, by, the, by the way, Andrew, I I I guess we should have started with like the more like cons cut um conversation oh yeah but uh yeah. You, you said you saw it for the first time when you got the blu-ray what like how long ago did that release like three years ago now um be four years ago uh uh and um i think around that time you saw it for the first time the cons cut marcus right um yeah yeah but uh andrew like if you were to choose or or how about this like if you you know in those situations where you show it to people which version do you go to 
Uh, and also, second question, which one is your preferred version, the theatrical or conscript? Um So, you know, I'm actually, just to frame it, I mean, I'm, I'm one of the few people who prefer the director's cut of Donnie mm. Darko. Oh, but yeah. with regards to Southland Tales, I think I prefer the theatrical theatrical cut, and that's probably what I would would show. Interesting. That's interesting. It's I, just a little, little tighter. I think I don't. Know, I feel like the the comedy um, pops a little bit more with the film just being generally that much tighter, almost. See, I, I waffle back and forth on it. I I feel the con or the theatrical cut's always going to be most special to me. It's the one I've seen the most times. It's the one that was has been in my life for so long, and. Uh, I think there are things that this theatrical cut does. It shifts the narrative in such a big way where things really do have, things are flying at you left and right about information and stuff. And I think it makes the movie a lot more mysterious. And for me, that was very appealing. Uh, I wanted to dig into that mystery. Um, and, and more absurdist, you know, um, the con cut is probably, as I see it, is probably the easier cut to watch. It, it, it feels more straightforward. And Marcelo and I, we, we were talking about this on our last episode, how mm-hmm. information is a lot more streamlined and easier to understand. It's laid out in an easier way. I think the whole history of the, the Upu offices and uh, the government control over the internet and stuff. Like uh, I think it does get its information across better. There's a lot more exposition from Justin Timberlake in the con cut. Definitely a lot more. And that's a, so it loses that some of the mystery factor, but it becomes a bit more watchable of a movie. So like it, it's just yeah I don't know I'm back and forth on it yeah it's it's hard for me to decide like the question of like if I were to show this to somebody which version do I uh, would I show them I think I'd go theatrical cut because it depends on the person I guess almost. it does depend on the person but I, I I did thinking about like what we said last episode Marcus about you know these two versions um, I think I said something to the effect of and I stand by this. I would go cons cut myself. If I were just going to watch it again for enjoyment, I'd put on the cons cuts because uh, I've spent the last three years digging through the theatrical cuts pretty much yeah. second by second. And the cons cut for me just breathes a bit more and just like, I'm already familiar with the world. I know a lot of the ins and outs. I know, I don't know everything, but I know just enough where the cons cut I can appreciate as its own thing. So my recommendation for you folks is do a podcast about Southland Tales for three years. <laughs> and after that, you'll just gravitate with the cons cut. I think that's going to be everybody's choice after everybody does that. And, and plus you get the puke on her tits line. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> again, that's worth it. Uh, there's a tiny little moment here of, of like filling space between their talking that like, it felt like a really smart little detail to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's really nothing, but like the, uh, radio operator or like whatever digital service inside of the cop car telling them where they are, uh, comes up and says nine zero zero nine Playa del Rey. Uh, and later on when we meet John Lovitz's character, he says that you're out of your jurisdiction being here. And like 
as they're driving along, you can kind of hear that uh, coming through on the radio. Uh, that like he's leaving where he is supposed to be policing. I thought that was a neat little detail. Interesting. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we get a flashback um, that is a little more obvious here of Starla planting the listening device on Kenny's jacket. Um, uh, and we get an extra... Sh- oh, there's an extra little shot here that I do not believe is in the theatrical cut. Um, I'll just say I did not have time to compare sections uh, today. I had to like cram in my watch of the con cut and make all these notes really quick. But I believe this shot is not in the theatrical cut. And it's just like an extra shot of a military Jeep with a blue Rhino logo sponsored on the side, just rolling down the highway. And the cityscape looks pretty CGI to me. I, I, I added in post. Um, it's just interesting to me that they would film this type of stuff, rent these military vehicles and then not use those little interstitial shots that are like three seconds long. Like I, I, I just think that's an interesting deal. It reminds me of a story. I believe this is in the director's cut commentary for Donnie Darko. And that's between Richard Kelly and Kevin Smith. And they talk a little bit about what I believe is the post-production process for Southland tales. And, um, apparently just how to stitch that movie together for the theatrical cut and how to make it work and what to keep and what not was extremely draining. And Kevin Smith's like, yeah, I saw you and you looked like you'd lost about 20 pounds. You hadn't seen the sun in like three years. Um, you looked like a nervous wreck. So I think it was a tough, a tough process to cut that film together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must've been. And that- um, if I recall right, I mean, Richard Kelly is kind of in there saying like, you know, yeah, it's it's so hard because something has to go. Time has to go for the film to be essentially distributed. Um, but what goes? I mean, I made it so that almost everything is important. So how to make that puzzle work? And he goes on about how, like, he's going to try to have an editor on set for future films so that he doesn't uh, run into this situation and so on. On that, on that commentary, too, I believe he talks about... No, it was the commentary for Domino that I'm thinking about <laughs> that is, like, such a bummer to me where he's, like... Tony Scott's working at this rate where he is, like, basically making a movie a year and, like, I can't wait until I'm at that point. And oh. I, I just... I wish it would happen. I wish it would have happened for him. Uh, I mean, I, we're going to get another movie from him. Like, I'm, I'm convinced about that. Whether it's Donnie Darko 2, which seems like the most bankable thing he could probably get money for, or that Rod Serling biopic he's been attached to for a long time, or, you know, God willing, the Southland Tales prequel. It, it feels like he was maybe... Uh, he got in the game too early. Um, because if, if, if he were, let's say, Ari Aster... Uh, he would have got his money to make Southland Tales and do whatever the fuck he wants um, after oh, Donnie Darko. Totally, he's, he's he's totally somebody who would fit in with like A two four stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's well, uh, you haven't seen Bo's Afraid yet, right, Marcus? Unfortunately, no. But it is playing here. I will go to it. I promise you. I will see you in the theater. Okay, Andrew, have you seen that yet? Um, not yet. Yeah, um, I'm sure Marcus and I will talk about it because I, I I would like to know your thoughts, Marcus, because it, it is it does feel like a modern day Southland Tales. Um, 
Bo's afraid in a good way. Like, yeah, you, yeah I, I think I saw you say that and it made me, or somebody else said that actually. And it made me excited. Yeah. It wasn't even you that said it. No, it wasn't me. Hey, I saved my material, uh, for Southland Tales on my <laughs> Southland Tales podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, to think that just, to, just to commiserate on the fact that we haven't gotten any Richard Kelly, uh, um, you know, material in how long how long has it been since the box now jesus christ uh, 14 years 14 years yeah. or t- 2009 oh wow yeah that was 2011 okay so uh, we got another big laugh from me here uh this one's in the theatrical cut where um bobby frost is uh negotiating with uh cindy uh, deep throat two um about the yes vote on proposition 69 uh and he hangs up on her, and then he's like feeling all proud and chuckling to himself about hanging up on her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> that little that line read is so good from Holmes Osborne. Uh, the narrator, another great bit. Immediately to another great bit. One of the best bits in the movie. Our narrator, but which, by, by the way, I'll ask you about the narrator in a second, uh, Andrew. Our narrator, uh, pilot, pilot Abilene. Uh, is explaining Proposition 69, uh, is going through the exposition, and uh, as as he's doing that, the camera slowly zooms in on Krista's face. Uh, to Krista, now Proposition... T- t- uh, talking about Proposition 69, to, to Krista now, that number meant one thing and one thing only, and the camera slowly zooms in on her face until it gets to a point where she's... She, she's got this perfect face facial acting going on where she's just like zoning out but trying to pretend like she knows what's happening and then she just solemnly takes a takes a little sip from her energy drink that has her face on it making the exact same expression like it's it's such a great little gag like perfectly um, labeled out like true branding yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's perfect it's perfect i want to ask you about uh justin T- you are a southern man andrew uh Indiana, right? Right at the southern tip, right by Kentucky. How would you rate Pilot Abilene, Justin Timberlake's uh, southern accent in this film? Does it feel authentic to you? I mean, his is a little, because, you know, where I'm from, it's it's more of that kind of Kentucky thing, which is a little, I don't know how to, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, like a little bit um, different. Like his is a bit more... Um, broad and panned out and how he'll say things. Um, and, and I, I've never had any trouble with it, but I mean, certainly in films, I'm always pretty forgiving there. Um, mm. like you haven't seen, I know Marcelo hasn't seen the box. There's been a lot of stuff made about Cameron Diaz's accent in that, but I never wow. had a problem with it, you know, or like David Bowie and twin peaks. I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but, um, <laughs> It is a little weird to hear it out of Justin Timberlake, you know, and I guess I don't know quite enough about a true Texas accent to know um, if it's that good or not. But I mean, I certainly like it. Yeah, yeah. I guess Marcelo, yeah, you've I lived was, in Texas. I was going to say so long, Marcus. Have you ever asked me that question? I'm no, Marcelo. I, I talk to you, and you have no sort of Texas accent. Well, yeah, I know you live there. But like I've been living here for I don't know I just it like, never occurred to me been living here for like thirty years, um, <laughs> and I was actually born in New Jersey, and then 
as a kid, we, we moved to Texas, living here for 30 Shuttled years. Shuttled off to Texas. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you never once in, in the history of the show ever asked me my opinion on Justin Timberlake's Texan accent. I apologize. Uh, apology accepted. Um, I think it's okay. It's fine. It's whatever. Uh, I mean, it's fine. To be honest, considering the movie he's in and the theatrics of the, of the whole thing, you know, accents for me. Uh, I don't know. It's it's the least of my you know concerns. Uh, I don't have much. I don't have many pet peeves when it comes to accents, really, unless it's like really, really bad. Um, and Timberlake's is not really, really bad. So that's my official opinion on Justin Timberlake's accent well it's, it's good to get that perspective from two uh experts in the field yes uh we get the uh ribbon cutting ceremony here uh it comes much later uh, than uh, in the theatrical cut theatrical cut it's like one of the first things that happens in the first like 10 minutes or so uh where the ribbon cutting ceremony for opening the upu to upu five office um uh, this one goes on for a much longer too a lot more exposition for here. A lot more exposition, uh, yeah. Letting you know more of the history of it and, you know, kind of Bobby Frost's, I think, proximity to it. I think it takes a lot more time with that. Oh, yeah. And, and, and personally, I like that. Is Once again, Marcel and I were talking about it in the last episode. I brought it up just a few minutes ago that like they're doling out this information slower in an easier to digest way. And like I think by this time, we've, we've uh, had a little bit of distance between the last like important world building that like i'm ready to take a little bit more in it it, it just it feels really smart to me oh 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 andrew have you uh looked at richard kelly's twitter in the upuch five office there are there's this giant um i don't know grid i guess of uh information that i'm not 100 percent sure what the hell it is maybe it's like different jurisdictions or whatever for the or for whatever they're covering, but it, it's um, it's Richard Kelly's Twitter banner photo, the U.S. ident. Oh, it's like chain of command. Yes, it is. It's it's definitely featured prominently as a panel in the graphic novel, and it yeah. gives you the entire um, breakdown of like what, what you say, chain of command for U.S. ident. That's right. Yeah, President of the United States goes to the U.S. ident director, secretary. Deputy Secretary and the Upud Secretary who go into the behavioral risk factor surveillance system. <laughs> and it just goes on and on in there from surveillance people to... Directorate Undersecretary of Violent Uprisings and <laughs> Undersecretary yeah. of Migration and Stigmatism and so on. Under Director Undersecretary of Advanced Dialysis and Stem Cell Suppression. They're a very Bush era because, you know, the stem cell research was a big political football in the Bush era, so that feels very apropos. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm just looking at this now. That's great. We get to another funny scene here. Just just barrel of laughs this ch- this section uh, where the prosthetics are being applied to Dion and Dream. These absolutely stupid prosthetics, a huge nose and uh, Dream getting upset, Amy Poehler getting up like uh, getting into an argument about uh, comedy with uh, Zora. Zora um, you know, kind of knocks them, but they do seem to have some purchase. I mean, they definitely have a following that some, seems somewhat legitimate in the graphic novel, and then um, uh, yeah. cert- and their deaths get news coverage. So I mean, yeah. they're not yeah. completely anonymous. Here's a question: 
now how can we uh, so it, it's their it's their group that is that it's um that people know about right is it their comedy group or is it the um, the um the 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 anti-fascist group they're in it's not they're not known for being neo-marxist they're known for being uh i don't even, I, I guess comedians but then also like i guess artists in general like uh, i think they have an album there's okay. these kind of yeah iconoclastic um you know people That's and i think word. that they're part of a troop of creatives yeah um called the mechanicals of which um roland taverner was one and they're secretly part of the neo-marxist movement thank you for saying that for putting that word out there the mechanicals that is one of the chapters in the graphic novel tell me about this what 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 are the mechanicals yes so um the mechanicals i mean to me this is almost core really to understanding the emotional journey of the film that like um what these two men are ultimately separated from the the culture that produced them and they're each from like different sides of the fence and, you know, Boxer is neck deep in that kind of the right wing political machine of USI dent. And Roland Tavener is as a member of the, the troop, the mechanicals and a member of the neo-Marxists is from like the, the left wing perspective. And now all that memory, like they've been separated as people from the memory gospel that holds them together. And they have to kind of now separated from the culture that produced them. Look at the world and I think make the decision themselves, um, do we fulfill our roles as the Messiah and the decoy Messiah? And so the graphic novel, I think, is so important to um, helping you understand role inside of it, that he was, was you know, a neo-Marxist. He was part of this mechanicals troupe that included Dion and Dream. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where he comes from. This is incredible shit, right? See, okay. Like, this is the stuff that we should know about. <laughs> Like I, I say, I think I know everything, and and then and then that just blows my fucking mind. Now this is gonna sound. Don't take this as a joke, Andrew. But would you like to host this show, uh, <laughs> Marcus? And I can step down. This could be your show. Uh, no strings attached. Um, um, but no, I it, it, legitimately, I'm like. And I, it's on record um, uh, of, you know, episode, what, like four or five of this show, we, we read the graphic novel, and I was more negative on it. Marcus, I think you were in the middle. I, mean, I think since then, Marcus, I think you've appreciated it more. I've kind of... I definitely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need, to, I need to read it again, because some of this, I'm like, that's in the, that's in the novel? And I just, like, just did Damn. not... Like that information did not seep into my brain. We we will be coming at it with so much more information <laughs> than we had previously that I think it will be filling in even more gaps. Like, yeah, we, there's no excuse for us not to have read this thing again. I have two copies of it now. And my but, memory might be a little faulty here, but if I remember right, I believe there was an actual theater troupe in L.A. called The Mechanicals, which... Hmm. Richard Kelly was a fan of, and the actress who plays Starla was part of that troupe, and that's why he put her in this film. And oh, she's also in the box. Holy shit. I, I, I was writing this stuff down because this is important information that I should remember. So Roland Taverner was part of the Mechanicals, right? Yeah, um, which is the name of chapter three of the graphic novel. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to reread this. So uh, the, this whole initial th- uh, the initial question I was, I was aiming at with all this by the way, thank you, Andrew, for for this information. Um, that you know, 
uh, Marcus and I should know. But I was trying to like place the mechanicals like uh, within our you know pop culture sphere, and I don't know like a troop like it's not like a, a, um, well Amy Poehler was in um, I forget the name of her troop. She was in with Matt Besser. Um, uh, yeah, up, Upright Citizens Brigade. Okay, so yeah, yeah uh, th- that was her troop before she went on SNL. Um, I, like, what other troops? Well, Marcus, you, you, I think you you might know an answer to this. Like, what troop, like nowadays, would have like a a big enough impact where you know they, they'd be on the level of the mechanicals in this day and in, in age? Do you have an answer for that, Marcus? <laughs> the Birthday Boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the actually, yeah, the birthday boys, they came back together. Uh, uh, Jeremy and Rashad from Twitter, <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy, uh, yeah, Rashad Suresh and Jeremy Levitt, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, it's such, it's, it's a funny little Twitter video. It's a legitimately interesting concept that I think now is like real life because really, um, this level of fame, uh, connected to like an entertainer, it's like we see that now as them being influencers like on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. So um, uh, I see that as the, you know, the, the prophecy coming true um, because I, I totally see those characters like Zach Wood, Amy Poehler's character being, you know, in this, you know, reality. So yeah, that's what I got from this conversation. Uh, since we're on the topic of uh, the uh, different chapter names. So there's a, uh, Two roads diverge. That one's obvious. Fingerprints, which I just assume applies to the the fingerprint, the voting fraud, right? Uh, the mechanicals, which you just explained to me. Thank you. Um, and then we have I can't remember the order, but we have wave of mutilation, memory gospel, and then there's a third one. It, it's interesting to me that the three temptation waits uh, is the other one. Temptation waits. Yes, the three in the movie are named after songs. Uh, memory gospel ties into the plot like that. That is a plot device, um, and a song that's in the movie. Wave of mutilation is a song that's in the movie. I don't. It, it thematically it works uh, on a name level uh, with ultimately with what happens, uh, but uh, temptation waits again. Thematically it works, but I just wonder if they why why is it called that? Why could they not like they? It's a song by Garbage. I think, right? And I don't know, they didn't get that song. And this has always puzzled me. I mean, I guess maybe they couldn't get the rights or something because they got the rights to the Pixies and the Moby. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, so what's your question? <laughs> I, I was just think, I was just kind of thinking out loud about the chapter titles. Oh, yeah. Since, yeah, yeah. Uh, since, since Andrew... Uh, you know, I actually did not know there was a garbage song called Temptation Waits. That is interesting that it's not in the film. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, Temptation Waits. It is by Garbage, by the way. It is Garbage, yes. Yeah. Um, I am a fan of. Good band. So just just to reiterate, Marcus. So Temptation Waits, name of a chapter, right? Um, uh, penned by Richard Kelly. And you're saying... And, and do we have any, any any evidence that it was going to be in the movie Temptation Waits by Garbage? No, this is a, this is totally a theory off the top of my okay, head. Okay, okay. So I because I'm just like the uh, the movie ones are named after songs, the book ones are not. Right now, I did pull up the lyrics. I think we have done this exercise before of reading these lyrics. We have. Um, just real quick, 
I'll just go through like the one the the one line that grabs my eye right away, just to reiterate this. And and I, I like your theory, Marcus. I don't know if I said that before, but I think your theory holds water now. Um, as we do these lyrics again. Uh, it says here, you come on like a drug. I just can't get enough. I'm like an addict coming at you okay. for a little more. And there's so much at stake. I can't afford to waste. I've never needed anybody like this before. So, yeah. So, and it continues no, yeah. on. Yeah, that definitely applies. Yeah. So, yeah. And it came out in 1999. You know, a big hits for uh, Garbage. It was featured on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, Angel, Dawson's Creek, The Sopranos. Um, yeah. A heavily featured song. It's a, it's a TV in the show song. Late can't 90s. Get it in movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, maybe overplayed. Maybe that's why Richard Kelly didn't, uh, you know, put it in the movie. That's serious. Definitely. Maybe he's Definitely. like, oh, you know, people have heard this far enough. So uh, yeah, they watch the they watch Buffy. Yeah, which could be part of the meta humor there that you know it's from a show starring Sarah Michelle Gellar. Shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This stupid. Oh, this is so good. I fucking love this, dude. I really do. Okay, uh, we got another one of my favorite scenes. It says I've written here. Uh, what's the scene? Roland describing the dream. Oh, yes. Uh, okay, so Roland and uh, Boxer here at the diner uh, discussing the, the diner that shows up three or four times throughout the movie. One of my favorite scenes. Okay, Roland describing the dream that uh, he, or Boxer describing the, no, Roland describing the dream he has, this recurring dream he has. Um, which I like my vague memories of the graphic novel. I do vividly remember this. It's one of the most visually striking uh, moments of the graphic novel um, uh, where box or where Roland is going through this like maze of uh, walls of sand. Right. And uh, eventually it leads to boxer and boxer is also having these same dreams. And uh, boxer then goes on this long monologue about the memory gospel. Andrew, since you, mentioned it previously as if you had some understanding of it. Could, uh, d- could you uh, talk about the memory gospel as a concept? I feel like I understand, but I would like to hear your take on it. it, it at least my interpretation is that like, I mean, human beings were kind of like just so many different like reactions and thoughts and feelings, you know, from moment to moment, you know, it could be kind of knee jerk and and so on and so forth, but but we're almost held together by like like an ethos and a pathos and like a personal narrative and the broader culture um, that created us, and and maybe that's like the memory gospel. And now Boxer's totally separated from that, and so he almost doesn't know know what to think. It's it's really putting him in like a total personal crisis. And that was just my kind of takeaway from it. Yeah, I, I love to hear that. Um, and uh, I echo all of that. And I actually said all that. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll, so. I'll fix it in editing <laughs> so that Marcus said that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the the so we have another cool scene here. But before, before that happens, before Boxer goes into the bookstore, something... I, I've never actually thought to think about this. What, what Roland gets waved over by uh, Fortunio's men, the mayor of Venice Beach. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the guy that was just throwing up on the beach one day. And got put into the movie. 
Uh, oh God! Why? <laughs> Listen. Okay, just just a pause. For first-time listeners, they have no idea what we're talking about. But uh, it's uh, go back and listen to every episode we've ever done of this show to understand what we just said. The mayor of Venice Beach and the guy who got hired because he threw up on camera. So those two guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they That's waved- such a cool moment to me because like. Roland gets pulled away by them, and they're part of that kind of underground counterculture, right? And and then Boxer gets led over to like the heart of the uh, whatever the military industrial industrial complex, right? The Trier Coterie, and they got a military attaché, you know. And he's you know neck deep. I mean, he's literally married to the daughter of the woman who created U.S. Ident. So it's like they almost get pulled. They have that moment of unity, and then they get pulled in their separate directions there. I, it doesn't matter, but I do wonder what Fortunio's guys were whispering to Roland. Like, I, I don't know what they, huh? What, what could that possibly be? doesn't matter. So, uh, yeah, boxer gets pulled away by serpentine. He gets, uh, uh, he gets, uh, transfixed by the snake and led into, uh, the bookstore where we have the, uh, confrontation where boxer meets, um, um, most of the Westphalens, and you got that another funny moment of a uh, boxer trying to wrestle away the, the screenplay from our dearly departed actress uh, Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah, I should have said this earlier though. But if Andrew, if you have anything to say more in depth about any of these scenes or whatever, tell me to shut up and go ahead. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm going to move on from the bookstore. I, for, I forget. Uh, uh, t- I forgot to do that bit where yes, we can say. Marcus, shut up. Let me talk uh, at any time during this episode. Not even, not, not even a bit. Sincerely, I want people to do it because I, I want. Like, if do you have anything to say about the bookstore, for instance? There, there is one thing that stuck out um, earlier that I can come back to if you want um, from Please, their yes. their conversation. You know, I was talking about how I view them as being like these people who have to see society and come to the decision. What do we want to fulfill our roles, which they kind of are aware of because of that kind of the crude hive mind of, you know, bleeding from from fluid karma. And I I like how there is that undercurrent in the car ride of like, you know, I've been dreaming about this guy. Should I open up? What can I say? This sounds totally crazy, you know, and and then it, it also for me, it's like Boxer and Roland are. They're the true witnesses, right? Like a revelation, like de- like just as boxers, like a decoy messiah. It's almost like Dion a dream in a sense, or decoy witnesses, like the the true people who have to witness the world and make a decision are, are boxer and um, Roland. And it's so interesting to me that those are the characters who are kind of tied together in that scene. Like I think in the theatrical cut, pilot talks about witnesses, and then you can see boxer and 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 Roland like on a screen in the con cut. It's more like his, his voiceover bridges um, boxer and Roland on screen and then cutting to um, Dion and dream. But it's just so interesting to me that they both have um, that similar role in a sense. And they are the people who are tied together in that whole stretch of the film. It's just one of the favorite things that I've kind of just come to notice about the film over, over, you know, subsequent viewings. That's cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And also, it is kind of funny that, I mean, you know, in the U.S. Ident office where it's like, you know, this Orwellian nightmare, they all wear 
like transparent um, ponchos. Maybe it's like a joke yeah. about transparency from the heart of Big Brother. I, yeah, I've never bothered to think why they wear that those dumb outfits. <laughs> when it comes to to the um, bookstore scene, that's just in terms of sheer cinema. That is one of my favorite parts. I mean, there are so many parts of this yeah. thing that are so poetic and and beautiful and that's one of them i mean there's so many stretches that are so atmospheric and mysterious and that kind of tonal heterogeny where it can go from um something that's really kind of unnerving and culminate in um a spat between the rock and zelda rubenstein really (laughs) is key to why i think the movie's so brilliant you know that that tracking shot going inside the uh, yeah, going inside the bookstore and yeah, it's so mysterious and like the the women there reading the books, like they're they're alluring, like uh, I, they're probably just people, but like there is some there's something about them that is like really striking and yeah, and it, <laughs> just and it leads to some jokey little scene that also has an air of mystery about it on top of being silly is starting out silly and uh, it it's kind of akin to later uh just outside of the confines of this chapter uh where we get uh the uh tracking shot going through the uh going through the alleyway with the uh car uh, the fluid karma smoke rising around and things are all bubbly and weird uh anyway uh, okay, so we have the uh, raid on the compound. Uh, I did not write too much about this, but actually, that's not true at all. <laughs> okay, so Eli Roth gets shot. Here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Eli Roth. Why Eli Roth is in this movie? Uh, I have I did a little research. Oh, cool. Um, Marcus did research. We may have. T- <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> we may have talked about e- why Eli Roth is here before. If we have, I'm sorry. Well, I, uh, how about but- <laughs> this? Let me remember uh, our conversations about it. I think we theorized that, yeah, Richard Kelly and Eli Roth probably met like at a festival, uh, similarly to like how they- um, Kevin Smith and Kelly became friends. You know, they, they ran in the same circles. We never came to a there was- concrete conclusion of why they're friends. But Marcus? You- I don't research? know... For if it's a hundred where they met, but I do know that in the early two thousands, Mick Garris was holding a series of dinners ah. um, for, for the show Masters of Horror, and I'm pretty sure both Richard Kelly and Eli Roth were at those dinners. Interesting. That's fascinating. Uh, I had no idea about that. Uh, I, I do know, like from from how I heard it, it was like there was some like new brat pack of young upcoming filmmakers, and like Eli Roth, Richard Kelly, uh, Alexandra Aja. Uh, there were and there were like a couple more, and Richard Kelly's the weird one that didn't quite fit into that group for me. The other ones were like hardcore horror directors. But, yeah, it's uh, like Donnie Darko had a feeling he could he could be horror, and mm-hmm. he was attached to. Well, he wasn't really attached to. He was offered a slasher movie called Valentine to direct that he declined. So in like the early stages of his, he was going to direct was like, Valentine. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he said, no, I'm going to make sure Donnie Dark was my first film. So he turned that down. I had no idea about that. That's fascinating. I, say, I, I know as well, Eli Roth was at one point attached to direct the box. So that might have been um, part of it as well. I, I respect Richard Kelly in so many ways. Like he, like he, I think he could work more if he like, – it feels like he is doing things on his own terms. There is nothing about it that feels like he's in director jail to me. 
Um, like he wants to do what he wants to do. And those projects are harder to get off the ground is how it reads to me. Because like he, he, he could have been, you know, a, uh, who's a good equivalent, like not Brian Singer. He, he, <laughs> he could have yeah, been comparing to Brian Singer. Why not? <laughs> no, Paul Thomas Anderson or uh, Paul, Paul, Paul W.S. Anderson. I don't, I don't know. I, I, there's a better name. to come Or maybe a James Mangold. James Mangold's a good one. Yeah. Where he, got offered uh, X-Men The Last Stand. He could have directed X-Men The Last Stand. Kelly, right. And uh, he's like, no, I'm going to do this stu- this insane movie that's obviously going to flop. This is something I really respect about him. And he's like been on, been attached to movies that like don't necessarily feel like something he would want to do that aren't necessarily... Here's, here, here. Uh, here's another thing with Eli Roth. Here's the thing I pulled. Um, so... Eli Roth and Richard, they were both working on a movie together. Uh, we don't know what, but it, what it was exactly, but it was supposed to be an adaptation of a Richard Matheson story. That's going to be the box. Is it? Yes. Yeah. The box is based off his story, button button. And oh. Eli Roth had this idea. If I recall correctly, that the film would be a comedy. Richard would write the script and it would be a comedy where you press the button and it turns into some kind of a robot. Um, <laughs> a whole completely different version of the film than the very Richard Kelly movie that eventually resulted from it. Yeah. Wow. I, I thought it was a twilight zone episode. Richard Matheson wrote it. Then it was a twilight zone episode. Then it was a Richard Kelly movie. Right. Okay. Thank you for giving me that history there. Uh, Richard Matheson, also the writer of I am legend, probably the most well-known thing. Uh, but here, here's an expert excerpt I found, uh, from, uh, from an article written by a uh, confirmed uh, fucked up freak uh, who we hate, uh, Harry Knowles, over <laughs> okay. at Ain't It Cool News. Brian Singer, now Harry Knowles. Okay. <laughs> okay, here, here's the exact quote I pulled from the website. This will be the first time Richard Kelly has collaborated on a screenplay with anybody, though they seem quite the pair. Eli himself said during the Q&A that Rich and I are totally in sync creatively. Donnie Darko is 99% Bunny Man, 1% Evil Dead, and Cabin Fever is 99% Evil Dead and 1% Bunny Man. He puts the chocolate in my peanut butter. Oh, God damn uh, it. That sounds kind of sexual to me, but whatever floats their boats, as long as they keep knocking out great horror flicks, oh. they can peanut butter each other no. all they want. Oh, God damn it. That sounds like old Harry. That sounds like Harry Knowles. Doesn't it so? And uh, what uh, what year was that article dated, by the way? Uh, like 2001 or two. Okay, all right. I want to get at Cabin Fever is 99% Evil Dead and 1% Bunny Man. I, I don't know where the Bunny Man comes into Cabin Fever at all, but whatever. It's 1%? Cabin Fever seems like a very straightforward movie to me. He's really being generous to that very small section where the kid does gymnastics and shouts about pancakes or something. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. He's got it. <laughs> so, okay. Obviously that didn't happen. And, uh, later, uh, much later, 10 years later, they'd, uh, collaborate again in 2011 for something called Corpus Christi that did not happen, uh, which was supposed to be a tech, the Texas set story concerns a mentally unstable Iraq war veteran who forges a strange friendship with his boss, a wealthy and politically ambitious owner of a supermarket chain. Which sounds along the lines of Domino and Salvantales, but apparently it wasn't supposed to have any uh, 
sci-fi stuff in it. But that that doesn't necessarily sound like something he wouldn't do. Um, but yeah, that that project also didn't happen, and it, I bet that project didn't happen because Richard Kelly was supposed to. He probably went away from that to go into his James Gandolfini movie that uh, ended how it ended, unfortunately. Uh, Kenny gets shot on the toilet, and Ronald falls into a dumpster, and then Dion and Dream start to argue. That's the end of the section. More funny stuff. I just feel one of my favorite jokes in the film, really, is in that section, and it just feels like there's nothing almost more on brand for, like, like a militant leftist than to be standing around with, like, a submachine gun talking about getting cat puked out of the out of the carpet. Um, <laughs> Low-key, one of my favorite jokes in the movie, I think. <laughs> that is a good one that I, I do often overlook. Uh, we've reached the end of the section, right? Yeah, we have. I, I, I think uh, Wood Harris, I, I bring this up every time, but I think him... Uh, at the end of her, at the end of the argument that they show him just like turning around and like punching the air uh, in in anger, I think that's uh, <laughs> so funny. And uh, oh, and then uh, on the earpiece, uh, Bing, um, he uh, says, "They're such good improvisers. <laughs> like like they suck so bad." Uh, and John Lovitz pulls up. Uh, that's and he insists on being back up. For the uh, oh, yeah, events that will unfold in our next chapters. See, I... New special guest. I was lost because I was like, wait, are we at the end of chapter four already? Because this conversation went by so fast for me. Like, it, it feels like we just like just skimmed the surface of this movie with Andrew. Um, I, I have a few questions for Andrew Marcus. Can I ask Andrew just a few general questions about the movie? Or, or do you have anything else? Or, or have we, can we tie the, tie the knot on chapter four? Three and four. I mean, I'm fine with us doing that recap and then digging into whatever we, you know, find interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Marcelo. What are your questions? No, just generally, because like we, I know we hit on a lot of things on in chapters three and four, but I want to know just what Andrew thinks generally of uh, of the performances in this. Uh, we got to talk about birthday boy uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, uh, birthday oh, yeah. today uh, as we're recording this. Let's start there, Andrew. Your thoughts on Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, um, I mean, uh, uh, Marcus and I, I, I. I mean, Marcus would put this what number one your favorite the Rock performances, right, Marcus? Oh, that, unquestionably. I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, look, I, I know every, everybody keeps saying this uh, that like he fits perfectly into that role as Hobbs in the Fast movies. Like, absolutely, I'm not denying that. And his pain and gain performance again fits perfectly into it. And like, it's great that. Even as recently as 10 years ago, he did something interesting. But yeah, there's something like he's actually acting in this fucking movie. And uh, it's more weird. It's more ambitious. It's more it's definitely more on my wavelength. This is probably my favorite of his performances as well. And it's just brilliant casting on Kelly's part, because, I mean, you can see um, the charisma that The Rock has and brings and that you would expect Boxer Santeros to have, but it's completely undercut by the trauma of what's happened to him, right? And the leeching of, you know, of his memories and his confidence. So, like, to see that kind of very rock-esque movie star persona just completely shattered is what really um, brings this up 
a notch for me and how we'll see him completely cowed at points and then other times completely leaning into it to an almost performative extent, you know, especially toward the end of the film. Like you can see him trying to conjure what he feels he must have used to be, right, as movie star boxer Santeros. Um, I really believe that this is an excellent performance from from Dwayne Johnson, and I would love to see him do some more stuff like this, honestly. Broke my heart a little bit because uh, it, it uh, earlier – a few weeks ago now, I think, when he announced the uh, Moana live action film. And I'm like, well, come on. Uh, he, he was at a point in his career after uh, Black Adam did what that did, you know, basically broke the hierarchy of the DC, you know, universe. <laughs> uh, not the way he wanted, um, but I, I kind of wished he would have just said, you know what, I'm going to take, you know, a little break from big blockbusters, you know, Disney movies, maybe do something smaller, you know, independent, maybe get a, get a performance out there. But it seems like he's grasping at once again, being, you know, in these large mainstream movies where I think his, his persona sort of is diluted. Uh, I, I do think he has that potential, but it, it's a struggle for me to be a fan of his. Um, um, but yeah, that's how I feel about the rock. I mean, I love him in this, like this and pain and gain top two, uh, performances from the rock. In my opinion, like I do believe he has that interesting spark within him. And Kelly is one of the few directors. Oh, no, that's, that's a lie. There's been other directors who've, you know, found that spark, that persona, that personality, the charisma, you know, uh, utilize it to its full extent. But Kelly is one of those that just did it so distinctly, so weirdly in this way that we rarely see from the rock nowadays. And it's even more impressive that this was his first major film role after Scorpion King for uh, <clears throat> for uh, like a WWE wrestler to bring them into something like this uh, and for him to fully commit to it. Like it's kudos to The Rock. But uh, <laughs> kudos the, to The Rock. Good job, Rock. I'm just so fucking tired of his shtick. Uh, if you see Skyscraper or Jungle Cruise or uh, the. Uh, the one with uh, Kevin Hart and uh, uh, Jack Black. What is that? Jungle Book? Jumanji. 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 Yeah, Jumanji. The the movies are fine. But I'm just so tired of The Rock playing The Rock. Playing The Rock that he's doing the same character in every movie, Black Adam, uh, with only minor tweaks like if it has to be a comedy red notice or a serious movie by the way more straightforward marcus i have to bring this up because this happened an episode or two ago well you you did just say southland tales one of the rock's first lead performances is that what you just said one of yeah after scorpion king right and be cool but he, he wasn't a lead and be cool after yeah i have to cool. i have to bring up his filmography once again we've done this before so just to re- just to reiterate uh, he showed up in Mummy Returns, you know, short cameo, 2001, starred in Scorpion King, 2002, but he was in also The Rundown, 2003, Walking Tall, 2004, Doom, 2005, well, fuck me, right? Gridiron Gang, 2006, <laughs> Southland Tales, 2006. So yeah, he, the, the momentum was there already for him to be a huge action star before Southland Tales. Um, Even in Doom, he's not quite doing what the rock is doing now he's it's more it's a more interesting performance than anything he has done in the last 
five, six, seven, eight years. I have not seen Doom. Do, do you think? And 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 uh, uh, we'll get Andrew's input on this. But Marcus, do you think there's any worth just going back and revisiting some of these earlier The Rock roles? Sort of like getting a glimpse of of, of who he was uh, before starring in Southland Tales. Is there any worth in that, Marcus? Honestly, yes. I. I... I assume there's probably some enjoyment to be had out of Walking Tall in the Rundown, uh, but I can't say because I have not seen them since I was a young, a young, a young, a young boy. Uh, I've seen Doom fairly recently, and I think that's a solid movie. Um, uh, you know, you know, you got cool Carl Urban shit in there. But yeah, it, it, he he is a fascinating. Uh, he he would be a fascinating actor to track up to a certain point, and then it stops being interesting i would say you do want to watch the rundown since that stars him and sean william scott yeah yeah that's absolutely a thing we're we've got to do at some point so yeah rundown commentary coming up soon on the podcast (laughs) Uh, i'm being dead serious (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh let's see what else we uh i wanted to talk about i don't know i uh okay can we jump to the end of the movie because I, I ask this of almost every guest. Yeah, um, you do. I, I, I want to know their opinion on the end uh, because it's it's been such an interesting conversation um, we've had with all the guests. Uh, you know, when this comes up, uh, Andrew, your thoughts on the end? Like, like um, Marcus and I have talked about it with guests and like separately about how. I mean, it's it's it sort of changes for me almost every episode, really. Like how I see the ending. At one point, I thought it was nihilistic, dark, but you know, after talking with so many people about it, it it's now for me, you know, ended up being hopeful of an ending. I, I don't know where you lie, Andrew. How, how do you feel about the ending of South and Tales? That that final climax. In a word, I would call the ending joyous. This this is that film. I mean, at least you know, to my interpretation, about these two people on this journey to observe this world they live in and see if they want to fulfill like their true role, not the scion of the police state, or to try to capture somebody saying you know a racial slur on a video, uh, but the deeper conspiracy put into place by a handful of people, including even. Uh, Baron von Westphalen's mother, who seems to be as sick of the state of the world as, say, Kevin Smith's character or Tab Taverner, Roland's dad, who only appears in the graphic novel. And as as they go on these um, journeys, I mean, I feel like Boxer's turning point is that that big argument um, at like, I don't even remember whose house it is. Is it is it Bobby? Is it the Baron's house? And he, he sees um, everybody basically treat Krista like crap and he realizes, oh, this is a society that will never let me be with this woman. You know, I'd have to be part of this arranged marriage. And then he sort of starts to think, okay, let's create a better world. And oh, that's a that's a great read. For Roland, it it almost comes right up to the end. And it's the question of am I worthy as this sort of Messiah they've said I can be? Can I forgive myself for what I did in the war. And he has to um, basically have both himself, because um, he's at war with himself, and pilot through the um, fluid karma hive mind, say, yes, you know, I forgive you. And as he's a pimp and he doesn't commit suicide, um, that kind of, he becomes like this neo-Marxist messiah who like releases us from this kind of awful, the awful world of the film and into a new age. It's sort of, my interpretation. So I see it as like a very positive and, and joyous ending. 
Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's that's the best answer we've ever gotten. Yeah, oh, so good. Um, I'm trying to think of more questions. Marcus, do you have any more questions for Andrew as we as we wrap up this episode? I, I, I it's a thing where I'm going to be absolutely kicking myself later on, or when I just think of things that I want to say to him or ask him, uh, <laughs> but none are coming to mind currently. Uh, but I do want to say, uh, you have been an incredible guest. You've, uh, opened my mind, uh, as, as much as I hoped you would. No, uh, thank you. It's, it's nice. <laughs> I'm glad you have this podcast. I mean, this movie, everyone should always be talking about Southland Tales. So I'm happy that there's somebody who is. Yeah. See, <laughs> that's a thing that, that I, I say this on every episode and I truly mean it. It's maybe repetitive, but I'm being honest here. I'm happy this exists. I'm happy we, we we're doing this uh, this uh, uh, series, Marcus, because um, sure, like no matter what kind of day I had before recording, now that like I'm fully in this uh, conversation, talking with Andrew or any other great guests we have, I talk about this movie which we've talked about now for three years, <laughs> Marcus. But yeah. it's, I I I think I speak you know for you too, Marcus. Uh, we get something new every time with every episode and it's it, it's a gift that keeps on giving people have done have done this shtick before uh where they uh we we did not invent the concept of overly talking about a movie but like i, I remember the first time i was uh aware of it was uh that person who ran a blog where they watched uh julia and julia every single day what? <laughs> okay uh, for like a year and uh, there was another podcast I was aware of where they watched uh, Grown Ups Two and recorded an episode for it every single week. Well, and like we we almost there's did, that aspect. I, I was gonna say we almost did yeah. the uh, Star Wars minute thing where we were gonna break down Southland yeah. Tales minute by minute, and yeah. thankfully we talked ourselves out of that. So, but yeah, there is that comedic side of it. Uh, I and sort of like. Not that this was started as a joke, because it did, in full sincerity, I did love this movie before we even started this podcast. But, like, I am glad it has gotten to a point where we are having mature, serious discussions about the movie. Like, I, I love, 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 love that we are always saying new things, finding people with new insights, and uh, being sincere about it. Uh, um and uh, it, this is a film. This is so redundant to say on episode thirty or whatever <laughs> of this show. Yeah, what episode? This is a movie that is worthy of this discussion. <laughs> yes, episode it's probably like, exactly what you just said, Marcelo. Episode twenty-six, by the way. Um, but yeah, 26. I uh, uh, Andrew, you don't have to commit. You can be nice and say yes on Mike, but of course, you don't have to follow through on this. But we'd love to have you back. Maybe for the box, I'd love to get your take on it after I see it, and after Marcus and I talk about it. Maybe do like a because we always we always do two episodes, you know, covering you know one of his individual works. So we're gonna do two episodes on the box. We'd love to have you on at least one of them, Andrew. Oh, that would be that would be great. I mean, I, I mean, I I like to talk about Richard Kelly a lot, and for a long time nobody did except to say like he sucks. You know, I mean. I could probably talk for an hour about Kristen Al alone, who I think may be the most powerful and empathetic character he's ever written. Oh, oh God, I want to hear that. <laughs> and and so, yeah, I'd love to come back to talk about this film um, or The Box, which, you know, would give me a great opportunity to revisit it, you know, um, anytime, honestly. <laughs> yeah. 
either way, we'll have you on again talking about Southland yeah. Tales, Kelly, the box, whatever floats your boat. Um, I, I think that's it. Uh, uh, Marcus, another great episode. Congratulations. Uh, we did it. Um, gosh. And, and, uh, now we have how many more chapters do we have now? Um, uh, yeah, one, two, three, four. We've got eight left. Uh, not necessarily eight episodes. Um, I believe our next episode is another group episode, but uh, we shall see. Uh, we, we never know. We never, <laughs> never know, know on this show, and that's what's so good about it is that this show is so wild and crazy, mm-hmm. and uh, we can say that we're going to come back in March on mic uh, in a commentary, <laughs> and then still be recording episode three of our comeback in May. Uh-huh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Uh, will we come back? Exactly. Maybe <laughs> eventually, M- much like the man himself, Richard Kelly. Uh, will he, will we ever see this, this again? You know, yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully, probably. probably. Um, but Hey, speaking of seeing things somewhere, Andrew, um, where can people find you online if if you are you know if you wish to be found? Yeah, um, so you can find me on Twitter um, at Master Mastermind with no I. Um, I picked a Twitter name off the Wu Tang Clan name generator, but it couldn't fit the whole thing, so there's <laughs> no. Good name. I do. Like and that. and uh, Salmon Shirts Forever Productions on YouTube, um, which I believe you know uh, Marcus did did mention at the beginning. Um, those are probably the, the two best places to find me if you so desire. Excellent. Uh, do that, folks. Um, all right, that's it. Uh, folks listening, we'll see you next episode. Marcus, uh, do, do we do plugs for us? I don't know. Talkfromsociety.com. Uh, absolutely. There are never uh, any plugs for us. Gunk Blader uh, on Twitter. Follow Marcus on there. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Patreon. We do Patreon commentaries over at talkfilmsociety.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash talkfilmsociety. Jack S3. I mean, as of, you know, when this episode comes out, we did it like two months ago. So go check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it. Now for our catchphrase that we say embarrassingly at the end of these episodes marcus here we go hey have a nice hey have a nice apocalypse apocalypse. bye Bye. Bye.